So I'm going to read the Bible now. Um, There are two passages. The first is from Genesis 3, verses 1 to 15. I'll give you a moment to find that. So Genesis 3, verses 1 to 15. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now the second reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Thanks for reading that out for us, Aaron. Hi, my name's Thomas. Uh, Pleased to meet you if I haven't met you before. What an exciting Sunday it is to be in church. Uh, Hello to you if you're joining us on the live stream as well. Lovely that you can also be with us. Well, what's your favourite Christmas movie? Uh, I've I've heard a lot of talk about Christmas movies. Uh, Is it Miracle on 34th Street? Uh, You know, traditional Santa kind of 
Christmas movie. Uh, what about Home Alone? Anyone like Home Alone? Yeah, a couple of votes there. Uh, Die Hard, perhaps? Uh, Favourite Christmas movie? Yeah, a couple of... Two hands over there. Great. Um, well, look, uh, I hope you're enjoying the Christmas season. A lot of Christmas movies are centred around the idea of a quest. Uh, the characters are on a quest for something. So one of my favourites, Jingle All The Way. Uh, of course, it's got nothing to do with the Bible at all, but it's a father's quest to buy his son the toy that everyone has to have. Uh, so that's a good quest movie. Uh, another one that's a little closer to the Bible is this one. It's called The Star. Now, I'd, I'd recommend this to anyone with kids this Christmas. Uh, it actually captures something of the quest that the first Christmas was, uh, the journey to Bethlehem with Joseph and his pregnant fiancée. That was a quest in itself. The shepherds heard about the baby and were sent to find it. The wise men came from over the desert. There was an escape from a villain. Uh, it was, the story itself is quite a quest. But as we read uh, the original telling of the story, what we see is that it's not so much a quest from start to finish, the Christmas story. It's actually the destination of a quest that's been going on for, well, all of human history. Uh, so take a look at a couple of verses from Luke's gospel when he re- recounts the Christmas story. Uh, he, he says of God, He has helped his servant Israel just as he promised our ancestors. Uh, He's raised up a horn of salvation, as he said through his prophets of long ago. Uh, And uh, in the the Bible's second account of the Christmas story, you see these repeated phrases that all of this took place according to to fulfill what the Lord had said through his prophets. Did you hear it in the passage that was read out today as well? Uh, and, uh, And there's plenty more references to promises of old in the Christmas stories. And so this Christmas here at the Lakes, we're going to retrace the steps of that quest. Uh, The the quest uh, throughout history uh, that actually had Christmas as its destination. So here's where we're heading today. We'll start by introducing the villain, the enemy of our quest. Then we'll see the promise. We heard it read out in Genesis. What's the treasure at the end of the quest? Then we'll we'll retrace the steps of the quest here today. We'll meet our champion uh, and we'll finish by considering some implications for us uh, of this Christmas quest. Uh, So there's going to be a few different Bible verses to flick through today. So I hope you've got your Bibles with you um, because we're going to be retracing a journey throughout the story of the Bible uh, we're going to be people. We're going to be like people rewalking the Kokoda track, right? Our heroes have gone ahead of us. They've blazed the trail, but we're going to retrace their steps, and we'll see with fresh eyes sort of what they saw. We'll come to appreciate the journey that they went on, and hopefully, all the more the treasure at the end of the quest, uh, which is what we celebrate each Christmas. Uh, And if you're joining us and you're not a Christian, you're not already a follower of Jesus, I hope that today you'll come to appreciate a bit more of who Jesus is and the great gift that he holds out for all of us. You might be someone who's on a bit of a quest yourself, and you might find that you're able to take a few steps along that journey uh, and find the treasure at the end, 
even today. So let me lead us in prayer again for our time together in God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, the Bible. Please show us your son Jesus in all his glory as we look back on your promises and their fulfillment today. Amen. So, uh, this, the Christmas story is littered with these references to promises and prophecies and expectations from ages past. Today we're going to start at, well, arguably the earliest of these, back in Genesis 3, the very beginning of the world. Uh, and there we discover humanity's great enemy, but also a promise of victory over that enemy one day. Uh, Aaron read the story out for us, and so we saw in Genesis 3 that the enemy of humanity is the serpent, uh, representing Satan, the devil, uh, the evil one. But notice how the serpent attacks humanity in those, in those verses. Uh, what's his chief weapon? It's not his fangs or his venom, but actually he uses our own disobedience towards God as his weapon. His weapon is to use our own sin, our own desire to disobey God against us. Human beings are very strange creatures like this. We're created by a loving God, and Genesis 1 and 2 put into a beautiful world, blessed abundantly, but always choosing to live outside of the good plan that God has for us. Sin has a reputation of being a good thing that God wants to deny us. That's why back in 2003, Streets put out a series of ice creams themed after the seven deadly sins. Uh, and this was supposed to make us feel like these would be really great ice creams to buy and just uh, to put aside a little bit of guilt for eating a sugary treat. But take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You see, the, the idea that sin is a good thing that God wants to deny us is exactly the lie that the serpent told Adam and Eve right back in the garden. Sin is not a chocolatey, sugary treat on a stick. Sin is actually a deadly game of Russian roulette with all six barrels loaded. Sin is like a, gold, like a goldfish jumping out of the bowl, thinking that life will be better on the other side of the glass. And what do we find? Not only that life is not better, but in fact we can't live at all on the other side of the glass. Because... Disobedience towards God does have immediate consequences in our lives, uh, and if you want to read on in Genesis chapter 3 yourself, you'll see those. But the ultimate consequence of our sin, our disobedience towards God, is actually death and judgment. At the end of chapter 3 in Genesis, Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden, uh, and uh, their punishment is not just that they get sent out of the garden and get old and die, but they actually live the rest of their lives separated from God and his goodness towards them. The ultimate consequence of sin is death and then judgment and ultimately hell. 
And I say it's the ultimate consequence of sin because it affects everyone, every human who's ever lived. It's a complete defeat. No one can come back from it. And it's eternal defeat because death and judgment last forever. Have you ever heard of the fire triangle? If you've ever done any fire training, fire safety training, you might have heard of this. Uh, the idea is that uh, to keep a fire burning, it needs these three things, oxygen, heat, and fuel, right? If you take away any one of them, you've defeated the fire. Uh, our enemy, Satan, is actually a bit like a fire triangle uh, because uh, we've got Satan, the, the serpent, but he uses this weapon of sin, to defeat us, and ultimately uh, its consequences are our death. Uh, these three kind of work together as our enemy, uh, and to defeat any one of these would be to disempower the serpent. And what we're going to see is that uh, when Jesus comes, he will bring a comprehensive defeat of our enemy in all three arenas. Uh, but we're still in Genesis 3. Notice that even as God announces judgment upon the serpent and then in following verses on Adam and Eve as well, he offers hope. He gives the promise uh, of redemption. So Genesis 3 verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, one day, God says, your enemy will be defeated. And along with him, his weapon of sin and the consequences of death. But notice how the defeat will come. It won't be a general uprising of humanity. It won't be humanity finally reaching some pinnacle of goodness. It will be by one man. Uh, have a look. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the promise of a champion, someone who will fight for us. And so begins, from Genesis chapter 3, humanity's quest for the champion to fight for us. It's not a champion in the sense of someone who wins a competition. It's a champion in the sense of someone who fights on our behalf. It's the quest for a champion. Now, I want to show you an example of a champion in the Bible. Uh, if you've got your Bibles there, you might want to open up and read along with me uh, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to read out the story of two champions that we read here in God's Word. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Feel free to listen or read along with me. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socho in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Socho and Azekar, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung over his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point 
weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight one another. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Goliath was a champion of his people. Did you pick that up? His victory would be their victory. His defeat would be their defeat. And so in verse 11, God's people, the Israelites, were terrified because they had no champion. I'm sure uh, most of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath, uh, but to summarise the rest of it for you, David, the young shepherd boy, journeys to the front line of the battle to visit his older brothers who are in the army. He hears Goliath's challenge and, trusting in God's power, volunteers himself as champion. He gathers five smooth stones from the river charges at Goliath and with one shot of his slingshot defeats the giant. David was the champion of God's people. But notice that he didn't rally the troops. He didn't motivate them and bring them all with him. He didn't teach them a special technique. He fought for the people. His victory was their victory. And so David, King David in the Bible, is a great example of a champion. But could he be the ultimate champion, the one that was promised, the destination of our quest? Well, no, I don't think David was. Firstly, he did defeat many enemies, but he didn't defeat sin or Satan or death. Secondly, the second reason we know that David wasn't the one that God had promised is because God actually said so. Uh, In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said that David too would one day die, but a descendant of his would come and rule forever. Uh, You can see there, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's another step along the journey. Uh, And one day this descendant of King David would come and start ruling forever. He would defeat death itself. And so the quest continued from that point onwards. Uh, There's a great summary of the quest in Matthew chapter 1. If you had your Bibles open, this is one of the reasons that I like using a paper Bible, because you can see what's on the page either side of what you're reading. Uh, If you've got it open, the very first verses of Matthew chapter 1 are a big long list of the family tree uh, of Jesus 
and it follows through all of David's ancestors because you see, they were searching. The people were searching for this one who would come from David to be the champion of humanity. Uh, or uh, have a look at these verses from, Luke, uh, from Luke's gospel, uh, where the people are described as the ones who were waiting. Uh, a, a devout man called Simeon, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, the prophet Anna spoke to all the people who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. These are people who were waiting for the champion, uh, and these prophets told them that Jesus had come. And so when we get to the Christmas story, uh, having walked the journey of uh, thousands of years of history, uh, come to the passage that was read out to us from Matthew and see what it says about who Jesus would grow up to be. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is the champion that humanity was waiting for, the one who would save his people from their sins. And so defeat the serpent by taking away his chief weapon, saving us from the consequences of our sin, death and judgment. And Luke's gospel actually makes the connection back to King David. Uh, so take a look at these verses. What was said about Jesus at his birth, or before his birth even, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is the one that we have been waiting for. And I want to show you a few verses from later in the Bible that show us that this is exactly what Jesus grew up to accomplish. Uh, I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles for these verses. So take, come with me to 1 Peter, to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to see how Jesus the champion defeated the enemy from every angle. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You see, he died for our sins as our champion. He died once for all. He defeated sin. Now take a look at this. He crushed sin under his feet. Are you impressed by that? Do you like that? Does that help? Okay, good. Good. You're still with me. Okay, come in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's a bit before, that's a bit before 1 Peter in your Bibles. Uh, here, the writer Paul draws the connection between sin and death. And we see how the champion saves us from sin and ultimately from death. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 54 says this, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. 
and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so once again, our champion has conquered sin and so with it, the consequences of death. So he's crushed sin again. That's because I'm going to do another verse for death, all right? So uh, don't get worried. Uh, next, come, come over to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And I forgot to put the verse up on the screen there. It's verse 25. Come to John chapter 11, verse 25. You might know this one off by heart if you've been learning your Bible for many years. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus characterized himself as the one who would defeat death by bringing resurrection. Uh, And it wasn't just a philosophical idea. He literally died and rose again to defeat death. It was the cornerstone of Jesus' accomplishment of his mission. And so, uh, whichever way you look at it, our champion has defeated our enemies. Uh, And that's the key thing to note in all these things. Jesus is our champion. He doesn't rally the troops. He doesn't motivate us and pull us up by our bootstraps. He doesn't give us special techniques to defeat sin and death. He fought for us. He died once for all. He rose to life so that we could rise to life united with him. His victory is our victory. And that's why Romans 16 verse 20 is able to say this. So Romans 16 verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Do those words remind you of anything that we've read in God's word today? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's reminding us of the promise right back there in the garden of the one who would come to crush Satan. And you can see that his victory is our victory because it says God will soon crush Satan under our feet. But notice it is still God doing the crushing. Right, But his victory is our victory. So, ready? Satan has been crushed as well. Whichever way you look at it, Jesus, our champion, has defeated our enemy. At Christmas time, humanity's quest for a champion was completed. And that's why we celebrate so much, because this great promise had been fulfilled. I just want to finish by thinking of some implications of all this for us today uh, in light of the quest for a champion. Uh, The first one is this. The fact that Jesus is our champion is why faith is so important in the Christian life. So important for the followers of Jesus to have faith because we're putting our success, we're putting our lives into the hands of our champion. And so we need to trust him. In fact, from our point of view, the only thing that can save us is by trusting in our champion. It's not our faith itself that saves us like it's some sort of magical force. It's the one who we have faith in. It's Jesus. But we need to trust him so that he is able to save us. 
Uh, the second implication is that Jesus defeats our greatest enemy, death. Death is the great leveler of humanity. Uh, they say there's two certainties in life, death and taxes. Uh, but I hear of some people who are even fairly good at uh, avoiding paying taxes. But death is the great leveler. Uh, you might be here today, you might be watching us thinking that you don't really need a champion. Your life's going pretty well. Uh, and I praise God if it is, uh, and I wish you the best. But if you're a human, then you face the same enemy as all of us do. Death. And remember, we're not just talking about death at the end of a long and fruitful life, but judgment after that. All of us will stand before God the judge, and Satan will accuse us of all of our disobedience and disrespect and sin against God. Do you want to face those accusations like Israel facing Goliath without a champion? to fight for them? Or will you let Jesus fight for you because he has already won the victory? So however in control of your life you feel, I suggest that we all need a champion to defeat this enemy for us. Uh, the last implication for us is that by defeating death, Jesus sets us free from the consequences of sin uh, and Satan even now. Our champion actually saves us from more than just death and judgment. Jesus offers new life today. Uh, all over the Bible, uh, after Jesus has come, uh, the logic is that since our enemy has been defeated, we can now live the life that God intended us to live. I want to read you just a couple of verses that are some of my favourites from Colossians. These are the last verses we'll look at today. If you want to look them up, it's Colossians chapter 3. But you'll find similar kinds of things in your Bibles in Romans chapter 6, if you want to um, make a note of that as well. Uh, listen to these verses from Colossians 3. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see that idea? Jesus' victory is our victory. We've been raised to life with him. Verse 2, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And on the passage goes... To describe a life that God intended us to live, a life of humility, compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience. And I suspect those are things that we all would value to live our lives according to you. But sin is like a straitjacket. It keeps us from living the life even that we wish we could but our champion has crushed the serpent, defeated sin and death. We have a hope for the future and we have freedom now to live the life that God created us to live. The life of a follower of Jesus is not being held back from the pleasure of sin. It's actually being freed from its harm. 
The life of a follower of Jesus is like being a goldfish put back into the water to breathe freely again. If you've never before realized exactly what Jesus is offering and you would like to entrust him to be your champion today, then I'm going to pray in just a moment and you might like to pray along with me and ask God to forgive you because of Jesus. If you'd like to know more, if you're intrigued and you want to find out more, then keep coming to church every Sunday over December and January. We're going to be continuing on this idea of the quest for Christmas and all of the promises that Jesus fulfilled. Uh, and in the new year, we'll be starting up a group that meets during the week over a hot chocolate or a coffee or a milkshake that gives you even more opportunities to ask your questions and investigate what we know about Jesus and exactly what he's offering to you. And I hope that will help you to find some treasure at the end of your quest. Uh, the best way to stay in touch with all of that uh, is by filling in the feedback form in our welcome pack. Right? Make sure you grab a welcome pack if you're new. Fill in the feedback form so we can keep in touch with you. We'd love to let you know all the opportunities there are to find out more. Uh, but for all of us, let's pray now and thank God and ask for his help. Our God and Heavenly Father, we are sorry for our sin and our rebellion. We know that you created us to love you and to love others, but we constantly fail to do so. Please forgive us, not because of our own work, but because of Jesus, our champion. We want to put our trust in him and in his work on our behalf. Please help us to live out our new life, trusting Jesus. Amen.